Hello and welcome to Million Dollar Monday. I'm your host, Greg Mazzello, bringing you real successful people with real useful advice for people with big dreams. I understand big dreams. I turned an investment of $200 and a lot of great advice from some really successful people into my big dream, Proforma, that today is a half billion dollar company. Well, hello and welcome. Today, we're going to be talking about everything franchising, and I'm joined by a real expert that has spent most of his career in the world of franchising, in the sales of franchises, uh, as a founder of a company that for six years was an Inc. 500 fastest growing franchise company, and today a company and the CEO of a company that helps franchises both with money, uh, intellectual and financial capital to get going and growing. I am excited to talk with Rick, Rick Del Santro. Rick, thanks for joining us. Hey, Greg, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. So one thing that might be interesting, because what we're doing here is, is Million Dollar Monday is about giving great advice yeah. uh, to aspiring entrepreneurs. I think this might be a good point for you, because I think many people that want to start a business think someday they might want to franchise that business and be yeah. the Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's of the world, or you, you can name what other organizations that are famous in franchising, but it might be helpful here for you to explain the difference between what was Century 21, a conversion yeah. franchise, and what most people think of when they think of the word franchising. Yeah, sure. And, and conversion franchising is interesting and in that the concept there is you find an operating business that's, that, that is out there today in the marketplace, and all you're trying to do is convert them from being what I would call independent and unaffiliated mm-hmm. to independent plus affiliated, right? So rather than be um, Rick Del Sancho Real Estate, you would be Century 21 Rick Del Sancho Real Estate, taking advantage of really three key components that any good franchisor should deliver, which are brand operating systems and ongoing support, the things that help you get, keep, and grow your customers. And so that's a conversion. What we deal with in most markets today and most business opportunities are really just true franchise startup businesses where you have an interest or a passion for a specific industry mm-hmm. and you get involved and you start that business from the ground up. You're not converting anything over. You're not changing your name. You're starting in as that concept from day one. And so conversion franchising are for people that are already in the business, but want to become a part of something much larger themselves uh, rather than some people might call it greenfield franchising or yeah. startup franchising, which is uh, finding people that are unhappy corporate executives or other people looking for a new business about which they may not know anything and yeah. start from the ground up. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, it's just the basic premise that if you can insert yourself into a system where things have been already thought out for you, laid out for you, um, where there are people that are not thinking about what's happening today, tomorrow, but they're thinking about what's happening next month, next year, five years from now, it gives you an inherent advantage over opening your own business on your own and making some of the beginner mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, on your own and all alone, as I tell a lot of people, 
is a recipe for disaster. So do you want to talk a little bit about your experience and sort of how you came through uh, the Century 21 into some other organizations that sort of look to expand the yeah. whole real estate franchising world? And tell us how you sort of got to uh, the Zippy Shell founding and uh, starting and growing Zippy Shell. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, this is all fun stuff, really, when I think back and look, look back at the, the history of it. But um, I, I was working for um, Century 21 of the Mid-Atlantic States when the um, corporate office um, out in Irvine, California, um, asked me if I'd take a position there to be director of international franchise sales. And with that would consult the, um, the domestic franchise sales efforts as well. And so I moved from, at the time, the Washington, D.C. area out to uh, Corona Del Mar uh, in uh, California. We worked in Irvine. It was heaven, frankly. And about 60 days into it, a company called HFS um, purchased Century 21 Real Estate Corporation from Metropolitan Life. And um, at the time, we were probably no more than a rounding error on the P&L of, of, of Metropolitan Life. But um, and, and there were about 210 people that worked at the corporate headquarters. I would say roughly 205 of them were let go. And five of them, five of us were asked to move back to New Jersey and, um, and go to work there. Um, I was asked to become the um, vice president of franchise sales and administration and, and build out um, the infrastructure for what would ultimately be multiple real estate brands. I remember I, at that time, I was really fortunate. I met a gentleman who was the president of the company, John Snodgrass, and he really mentored me and taught me a lot about the world of, of business and franchising. Um, and we, uh, we sat down, we worked hard, and we built out something that would later support um, also um, Caldwell Banker, ERA Real Estate, Better Homes and Gardens, and ultimately Sotheby's as well down the line. And so that was a, a really, really great experience for me. Um, but I've always had that entrepreneurial urge and itch. And I think that, um, you know, I'd always tell people, if you have it, it's not going to go away. So you, it ain't better, going away, right? you better deal with it, right? Yeah, right. And so it was probably, you know, I, in the, uh, I would say, gosh, 2001, that I, I, I decided I was going to start my own business and, um, um, and, and things, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, I will share with you that um, there's a great book out there. I'm sure you've read it, but if your listeners haven't yet, it's called the E-Myth Revisited Absolutely. Why Most Small Businesses Fail. And, and I always tell people, I think that when I started my first business, the, the book was written about me. They followed me around and just said, okay, you know, yeah. Because, you know, all I did for six straight months was revise my, my, you know, my revenue numbers downward. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? And it was fortunate and a little fortuitous that I figured out what was going wrong was that I was spending too much time working in the business and right. not enough time working on the right. business. Right? right. And when that happened, things changed. But um, it was really back in 2008, 2009 that a, a, a lifelong business partner and dear friend of mine, uh, Javier Paraga, um, reached out to me with the idea of, of Zippy Shell here in the United States. And 
my initial inclination was this is storage and moving. It's really couldn't be any more boring. There's already this concept out there called pods. Like, you know, why do I want to do this? I'm, I'm an, I'm an emphatic no. Right. And give him a lot of credit. He constantly kept dripping me with information and, you know, kicking up the discussion. And, you know, I finally said, okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll look into it. I'll, we'll spend the next couple of months. We'll see if we can shoot, shoot holes in it. And, and ultimately we got to the point where I said, you know what, this actually does make sense. I like their model. I think it's a better model than what's out there. There's certainly enough space. I think the changing environment of how people store their goods and move their goods is, is fantastic. And so to condense a long time to a short period of time, um, we, we ultimately launched in 2010 Zippy Shell here domestically mm-hmm. um, in the United States and began growing it. Can you describe the business model of Zippy Shell? There's just a couple, yeah. there's a couple of different models in that in that industry, but yeah. So the, yeah, so there's one. a couple of things that that we did when we first started off. We were strictly a portable storage company. So um, if you're familiar with um, like a Pods or even yeah. a one eight hundred Pack Rat, mm-hmm. they deliver a large container to your home and they leave it there and you put your things in it. If you want, you can have them pick it up and store it in a facility. But most people like to have it, that sense of security of sitting in their driveway, their side of their yard, wherever the case may be. Zippy Shell was going to be different. We were going to deliver a container that was inside of a, a trailer, essentially, what we called the Zippy Shell. And because it was, you know, a, a licensed vehicle, we could bring that and put that in places where you couldn't just leave a container. And so it gave us competitive advantage, apartment complexes, condos. Um, and, and I really liked it. It was very lean. It was nimble. It was mobile. The capital costs to get involved were significantly less for a franchisee. And so that was really the, the initial model, knowing that at some point when we built enough franchise locations, we could actually start shipping these containers around the country um, and, and basically helping people move. So doing what we refer to as containerized moving. We deliver a Zippy Shell trailer with a container in it, one, two, three of them. People would load their goods or they could hire somebody to professionally load their goods in there. And then we would take these and put them on an enclosed truck and they would be re-delivered to another Zippy Shell location and then re-delivered out to your home when you were had moved. And what was ingenious about it was that the other models were only shipping their containers on flatbed trucks, which are very expensive to move across the country. But our containers were designed specifically to be, be, you know, be shipped inside a enclosed freight truck, which moves 90 plus percent of all of our freight around the country. So we had really some strong economic advantages as well with that model. Along the way, you raised a lot of money uh, for the growth of the company. Yeah. You want to tell us about that? Well, I, I think we uh, initially had bootstrapped it with, you know, um, founder money and, and friends and family. And we probably combined put about $5 million in. Um, in 2015, we took in our first outside money, what I would call private equity money, with a, um, a great group out of uh, California called Virgo. Um, and they invested uh, $25 million into the business, um, you know, at a, at a you know, very strong valuation. 
Um, and then later on um, in 2018, it would have been um, invested uh, in conjunction with some others, uh, you know, roughly another 130 million of equity and about 60 million of debt. So um, yeah, it's, it, it's quite, a, quite a bit of, a, a, of an investment and, and certainly much appreciated. And frankly, it's a large, large part of the reason why the business is where it is today and wildly successful and, and continuing to grow very, very rapidly. Yeah, six years on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing company is uh, certainly a wonderful accomplishment. And congratulations to you for that. So what led to your leaving there? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think ultimately, uh -huh. in my mind, it was just time. Um, you know, I, I, I think that um, for me, the business was much more um, large operational, more and, and less entrepreneurial. I also think that um, we had just done a, um, a merger with a, a company called 1-800-PACRAT. And we knew that we were going to have to, for some period of time, slow down our franchise sales growth, not eliminate it, but just slow it down and, and maybe take a pause on it because there were roughly, I think, 75 um, locations that we would have to operate. Um, and so, look, at, at this point, I think it was safe to say I became a franchising guy. And I really love that. I love the interaction with the entrepreneurs. And so it, I just think all in all, it was just the timing just felt sure, right. Sure, sure. And well, we had, and I think I think the words slow down our growth are just something that's not in your DNA or mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I and I think look, to be fair, they sure. certainly have accelerated growth. It's yeah, yeah. it's slowing down the, the franchising side I of it, it for yeah, me, yeah. which was what I was really passionate about. I mean, I was, right. you know, toward the end, that was the side of the business that I would had become really responsible for. I had a business partner, uh, uh, Gareth Taylor, who was responsible for the what I call the moving side of the business, very, um, you know, very operational side of the business. And so with, with my side of the business being put on pause, it just, all things made yeah. sense. All right. Well, it's a wonderful background. It's a wonderful story. And you learned a lot about the ups and downs of the franchising business. So tell us about Z Growth Partners. Yeah. So Z Growth Partners um, was founded by, again, my business partner, Javier Paraga. Um, and, and when Javier, he was part of um, Zippy Shell, and when the first um, outside investment came in 2015, he was acting at the time as chairman of the board. That, that, that shifted, and he thought for the second time in his life he would retire, um, and it didn't work out again. So he decided what he was going to do was build out a business that would help young concepts and, and even experienced ones sell franchises because the franchise sales are, it's a very challenging thing to do. Fair. And so he said his little twist on it was going to be that they were going to also invest in the concepts, very minority investments in the concepts that they were repping because they wanted to show that, you know, there was a real belief in what they were doing. And when uh, Javier reached out to me when I left Zippy, um, he asked me to come aboard and I told him, you know, this sounded great, but I, I would rather change up the, uh, the structure, have us make majority investments in these young concepts, okay. and then really get in and help them grow. Because inherently, young franchise concepts all struggle from the same things. 
number one, they're typically undercapitalized. They, they don't understand how expensive it is to really scale the business. Number two, they know everything about that operating business that they built, but they know very little or nothing about franchising, completely right. different industry. They struggle with franchise sales. That's the third thing. And then the fourth thing is they're put in this situation where they have to hire certain roles in their business to support their franchise community, no matter how small that might be. Right. But the economics of doing that don't make any sense. And so right. we felt like if we could go in and, and eliminate those barriers, so to speak, we could find really good concepts and help scale them and grow them. And, and so that's what we decided we would do. We would change the direction of what we were doing and, and go down that road. Many people I talk to, because we're a franchisor, yeah. that want a franchise, almost look at franchising, um, you mentioned being undercapitalized, almost as a source of capital. Well, yeah. I can't afford to hire people, so I'm going to sell franchises. And, and these are people that don't even have a proven concept. Uh, and I think it helps. Sometimes those kind of things can give franchising a bad name. Uh, when people are selling franchises and, and at the same time expecting the franchisees to really prove out the concept. So yeah. good on you for, for what you are doing. Um, what advice would you have for people that are listening right now that think they may want to franchise their business, whether they're just getting up and going or whether they're even thinking about starting and then eventually franchising? What advice would you have for them? Well, I, I think uh, my basic advice would be make sure you have one, two, three locations where you're, you're, you're getting it right, you know, and, and that's, you have to look at, at it always from the, um, the franchisee standpoint. We look at things, uh, you know, beyond who the founders are, but we look at, um, you know, what industry are they in? Is it a growing, declining, flat industry? Um, how scalable is that business? Um, what does the competition look like? Is there something unique or different about what they offer? Um, what are the single unit economics? Always critical because you have to remember, you as the franchisor are going to charge royalty fees. And so, you know, minus those royalty fees, how much is left over? Um, we really don't want, we don't look at concepts where we don't believe you can get your initial investment um, back in in more than 24 months. We want to see those types of things. So Good for you. I, I would say, you know, look, get it right first. Don't be in a rush. And, and when you are, I mean, understand what you know and what you don't know. Don't be afraid to ask for help um, and, and to do it right. It's not as simple as reaching out to a franchise attorney and saying, can you put an FDD no. in a franchise agreement? And I see a lot of that. You know, people just okay, and now I'm in franchising, but you're not, you know? Are you guys members of the International Franchise Association? Of course, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that you didn't say it, but I think you and I would both say, number one, join the International Franchise Association, even if you're thinking about it, because there's just so much wisdom and networking you can oh, do yeah. there that uh, uh, it's unbelievable. All right, Rick, so... You've been very successful as the founder, as a CEO, especially in the franchising space. Um, you know, you've had a lot of very successful financial transactions. What are the big dreams you have for your business and for the rest of your life, Rick? 
Yeah. So one of the things I, I decided that really motivated me was to help others achieve their aspirations and their goals. And it's, it's just rewarding. And I'm sure, For sure. Uh, you know, there's other people that probably feel similarly. And so we've got all of our concepts and we want to take these concepts to a point where, you know, that those dreams are lived. Now, sometimes those dreams are economic and sometimes they're just isn't it really cool to see my concept in 150 different markets, right? So whatever that is, we, we want to do that. And, and I think from my standpoint, you know, as I think about what the future holds, I'm, I'm probably not a good person to retire. I mean, I just don't have a lot of hobbies, but I would love to one day okay. be able to finance, you know, or help my kids start their own business. You know, for me, that's kind of a big deal. I can't think of anything that would be more enjoyable than that. Yeah, I get it. Uh, we work with a number. We, my wife and I together have a collection of his, hers, and ours. We have 10 children together. And uh, Oh, my goodness. It's, there probably isn't anything a heck of a lot more fun than working with the next generation, right? It is. It's, it's, it's a blast. And, and to see them sort of you know, navigate their way and learn the industry and the business. And again, life's all about, you know, learning from previous mistakes. And that's where I think franchising is, is genius, you know, because, yeah. you know, you build a system based not only upon successes, but the elimination of things that didn't work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Rick, congratulations on all of your success uh, in your business and in your life. And thank you very much for joining us for Million Dollar Monday. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me and congratulations to you as well.